A man stands frozen for a moment. The dark, ominous figure before him is daunting. As he makes a move to evade, the monster moves with him. Fear grips him. What should he do? He turns to run, but is blinded by the light of the sun. Looking over his shoulder, behind him he sees his shadow. Before him is brightness, warmth, and relief. The Psalms were the hymns of the Jewish people. They were music, words, accompanied by stringed instruments. The 150 canonical Psalms are broken into five books, each ending with a doxology. Nearly half of the Psalms were written by David. A third, the authorship is unknown. Some of the other writers were Korah and Asaph, Solomon, Moses, Heman, Athan. If you have a study Bible, you may have noticed that above some of the Psalms, there's some groupings, some titles. Sons of Korah, the Songs of Ascent, or Praise and Worship Psalms. John MacArthur provides us with this thought <clears throat> concerning the contents of the Psalms. The basic theme of the Psalms is living life in the real world, where two dimensions operate simultaneously, a horizontal, temporal reality, and a vertical or transcendent reality. Without denying the pain of the earthly dimensions, the people of God <clears throat> are to live joyfully, independently, on the person and promises standing behind the heavenly eternal dimension. All cycles of human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing human complaints, confidence, prayers, or praise to Israel's sovereign Lord. Does anybody remember what happened on February 24th, 2022? Darren's got his, he's, he's like, oh, I don't know what happened on that day. That was the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. It was actually a continuation of the war that had <clears throat> followed the previous invasion from February 20th of 2014. For the people of Ukraine living in a war zone, hearing bombs, gunfire, hiding out, living in terror, it's part of their everyday life. For our generation, a large majority of us, if not all of us, know nothing of war. We don't constantly look over our shoulder wondering if somebody's sneaking up behind us. We don't have to consider strategic places to hide to keep from being shot or blown up. If you're under the age of 45 years old, you probably have no idea of what registering for the selective service system is actually referring to. For David, the author of Psalm 27, the reality of war and enemies was part of his everyday life. Consider some of the highlights from David's life. We first learn of David, the shepherd, typically leading a life of solitude amongst his flock. David was aware of his enemies, the lion and the bear. He'd encountered them, and he had defeated them. After being anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel, we see David called into service for King Saul 
as a skilled musician. We read of David going into battle with Goliath. Later, we see King Saul jealous of the attention that David was receiving. You may have recalled the songs that were sung by the maidens. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Driven by jealousy, we read of Saul throwing a spear at David, attempting to kill him as they dined. Following the death of Saul, when David became king, his life was filled with continued wars and battles. Even after he conquered much of the kingdom, he had to face opposition from his son Absalom, who attempted to seize David's throne and place his life in jeopardy. Then there were David's inner battles. David faced battles due to disobedience. We can especially remember that of the sin of Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah. We don't know exactly the writing time of Psalm 27 and what was going on, but we can be sure that David was very familiar with facing enemies and fighting for his life. Our outline for Psalm 27 will be as follows. First, we will see a position of confidence in verses 1 through 3. Then a place of longing, followed by a prayer of deliverance in 7 through 12. And finally, a patience in waiting. Let's start by looking at verses 1 through 3. David begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. David begins the psalm with a statement of confidence. Before he details the areas of uh, concern for him, he identifies three characteristics of the Lord that allow him to declare, whom shall I fear and of whom shall I be afraid? He begins by stating, the Lord is my light. Notice that he says, my light. Whatever circumstance David was facing at the time, he viewed these characteristics of God to be personally available to him. Light is typically viewed as the opposite of darkness. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light that allows us to see clearly the safe way and the avoidance of hazards that are before us. Light versus darkness can also refer to the opposites of good and evil. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Light is more than what God gives. Light is what he is. When we speak of the glory of the Lord, we see his illuminating essence. David continues by stating that not only is he his light, but he is also his salvation. Salvation here is referring to the Hebrew word for deliverance. 
Whomever David's enemies were at the time, David was expressing a confidence that the Lord would deliver him in his time of need. The third word he used in his opening statement was the word stronghold. This is referring to a place of security and refuge, protection from those who would harm him. The verse says, the stronghold of my life. It's not merely referring to a place of refuge, but to God's care and concern for those who are his. David is considering these images of his Lord and finding great confidence in him. For who can stand against the Lord? David now considers in verses 2 and 3 those evildoers who are against him, his adversaries and foes, the armies who come up against him and make war with him. Scripture accounts of many times that the Israelites were in battles vastly outnumbered. Still David responds, yet I will be confident. It is his adversaries who stumble and fall. They are counting on their own wisdom and strength. David was trusting in the Lord. We read David's thoughts in Psalm 37 in verses 23 through 24. The steps of a good man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. David's confidence was not only in the Lord's protection, but also in the Lord's direction. And if he stumbled along the way, it was the Lord who would raise him back to his feet and set him back on the right path. Do you have that kind of confidence in the Lord for your life? Certainly, we're not facing the kind of battles that David faced from outside enemies. Where are your battles coming from? The world system runs in opposition to God's word. If we are followers of his word, we will face battles. Do you recall our memory verse from the month of July? John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We have another enemy who is determined to consume us. Though Satan is not omnipresent, he has many followers who are equally determined to disrupt our service for the Lord. We read in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom someone to devour. Maybe your battle is within. The challenges we face of being in a world but not of the world. Consider James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you are a child of God, you have within you the Spirit of God, who will help you to see the traps and temptations that come and can lead you astray, causing you to sin. The secret to victory in our lives is summed up in these verses, in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. 
your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's another plug for scripture memorization, by the way, just in case you missed that. <clears throat> Our confidence is in the Lord, and he has spoken to us through his word. Well, we've seen in the first three verses David's confidence in the Lord that is a result of his knowledge of the Lord and his relationship with the Lord. Because of this, we see David's progression in his walk with the Lord. He's not satisfied going through life with his bodyguard watching over him or being content knowing that his master is protecting those whom he owns. He wants more. He wants a personal relationship with his heavenly father, a growing relationship, a knitting of hearts. Let's continue on in Psalm 27. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David's single request was actually in three parts. He desired to dwell in the house of the Lord. He wanted to gaze upon the Lord's beauty, and he wanted to meditate in the temple. That was what he longed for. We know that this was David's desire because we're told in Acts 13, verse 22, God's testimony regarding David. It says, And when he had removed him, referring to King Saul, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. David's desire was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He's not referring to a heavenly dwelling here. Though Solomon's temple had not yet been built and worship was being held in a tent, for David and the children of God, the focus was not on the structure around them, but the presence of the Ark of the Covenant before them, the place where God had promised to meet with them. We read in Exodus 25, starting in verse 21, it says, And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The hiding, concealing, and lifting that David is speaking of in verse 5 of 27 has no physical boundaries. The hiding and concealing are associated with the tent, providing us with the image of David being out of view of his enemies. And yet we see God lifting him up and placing him high upon a rock, an elevated position above his enemies in plain view. Regardless of where David is, he is protected by God. 
Psalm 3, 3 says, But you, O Lord, are my shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. <clears throat> Back in Psalm 27, verse 6, we don't see David hiding, hoping that the enemy doesn't find him. Confident in the Lord's presence and protection, he openly sacrificing and shouting for joy, singing to the Lord. Do we have a single focus? Is there something we desire above everything else? If it's not the Lord, can it compare with his beauty? Maybe our vision of the Lord isn't that magnificent. Anselm of Canterbury had this to say, I pray, O God, that I may know you and love you so that I may rejoice in you. And if I cannot do so fully in this life, may I progress gradually until it comes to fullness. David desired to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Does that mean we should sell our houses and all move into church? I don't think so. But there is something to be said about the importance of gathering together at his church as a priority in our life. And it doesn't only happen within these walls, but this is part of God's design for corporate worship. That which draws us to worship as we join our voices in singing. That which causes us to reflect as we hear God's word spoken. That which knits our hearts together as we praise God and lift up one another in prayer. Our buildings can be destroyed. Our physical bodies can be destroyed. But our spirit will endure forever. We've been basking in David's confidence in God. Now we see what could appear to be a lack of confidence as we look at verses 7 through 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Verse 7 begins with the word hear. This is the same word we see in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, the Jewish confession of faith, was recited twice daily by those who were devout followers of the one true triune God. David would have been very familiar with this, and like in God's call to Israel, David is calling God to attention of his situation. David's plea here would suggest that he's not seeing God answering his prayers. Despite his seeking of God's face, he alludes to God hiding his face and being angry with him, the one who has been his help and salvation. We can't be sure of what David was going through at this time of the writing. We do know from the scriptures several times where David was in despair while being pursued by his enemies, and he cried out to God for deliverance. 
Notice the similarities to Psalm 27 from Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. Psalm 9 begins with words of confidence like that we saw in the opening verses of Psalm 27. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exalt you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Note David's emphatic repetition, I will. Psalm 9 is a psalm of praise. David is recalling God's justice. And then in Psalm 10, as in Psalm 27, 7, we see a shift. No longer is David focused on what God has done. He's lamenting in his current situation and cries out to God, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Consider what David wrote in Psalm 13, verses 1 through 4. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In the midst of trials and suffering, our confidence in God can be shaken. The thought of us questioning God, why hasn't he answered my prayers? Why can't I feel his presence? How long will he allow me to suffer? These thoughts can only add to our despair. Verse 8, we see the key word, seek. This is a common line of thought of David. We saw back in verse 4, David's threefold petition that he intended to seek after. Consider Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5. We'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Here we see the psalmist recounting David's song of thanks from 1 Chronicles 16. After the Ark of the Covenant had been returned to Jerusalem following it being taken by the Philistines, David had asked the question back in Psalm 24 that we read earlier this morning, who shall ascend in the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? We found the answer in verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Back in Psalm 27 and verse 9, we see parallel lines interspersed with a cry out to God. He says, hide not your face from me. Cast me not off, followed by statements of confidence. You who have been my help, God of my salvation. In addition to not sensing God's presence, David contemplates in verse 10 being forsaken by his parents. There's nothing in scripture to indicate that David's parents had abandoned him. The thought being presented here is 
if his parents had forsaken him. God is there. When we are in despair, we can pile up worst-case scenarios that only make our problems appear worse. We need to focus on what we know. God has promised to never leave us. We see in the second half of verse 10 a transitional word in Scripture that causes us to stop and consider what's about to change. It says, but the Lord will take me in. David is broken away from his doubt and despair, and he's returned his focus to the one who is able to provide the direction he needs at this point in his life. We see in verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Compare the beginning of verse 11 with uh, verse 8 of Psalm 5, which says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Here in Psalm 5, verses 7 and 9, we see bread that is sandwiching the meat of the request we just read in verse 8. It says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. For their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongues. Verse 12, he says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. His enemies are intent upon his destruction. David has not forgotten his situation that he is in, but now he is leaning on the Lord and asking for his intervention. David concludes Psalm 27 with these words, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The New American Standard Bible begins verse 13 with, I would have despaired unless I had believed. David's confidence is on full display again, expecting to see God's answering of his prayers in his lifetime. This same David gave us the 23rd Psalm, words of comfort and confidence in the midst of enemies and dark valleys. Don't count God out of the today. We are confident that when the Lord calls us home, we will no longer be confined to these earthly bodies. The limitations and the pains will be no more. But don't stop praying for God to work in a situation. Does God answer prayers? He does. Will it be today? It might. It might be tomorrow. Or it might not be part of God's will for your life to answer your prayers the way that you've been asking or expecting. We don't necessarily know what the goodness of God looks like for us on any given day. But we can be confident that he is working all things together for good. Verse 14 begins and ends with the same statement. Wait for the Lord. David's reminder to himself was also instruction to his readers. It's important that we do not put time restrictions on God. He operates in his time according to his will. God created time. He exists outside of time. No one likes to wait, 
But consider these words in Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, if you and I are anything like David, we have days when we are confident in the Lord. It's strong. We feel we can stand up against whatever the world throws at us because we're not alone. God is fighting for us. And then there are days where we struggle and we feel alone. Has God abandoned us? Of course he hasn't. When your enemies surround you or when the battle within you is raging, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the size of your adversary or the depths of the pit that you're in? Or are you seeing the one who is mightier than all, the one who can lift you up out of the deepest pit? On those days when the sky is filled with dark, ominous clouds and yet a beam of light breaks through, what are you seeing? Are you seeing those clouds, the sky full of them? Or are you seeing the light that breaks through that lets you know that the sun is shining brightly behind those clouds? You've gone to the Lord with a burden on your heart, asking God to intervene. The clock continues to tick away the seconds. The pages of the calendar continue to turn. Are you in your waiting, seeing time, which God created, pass by? Or are you seeing the God who in his time will answer your prayers according to his perfect will? Is your sight fixed on the horizontal, temporal things? Or are you looking up in your heart and mind on the vertical, eternal things? Both are happening at the same time. The question is, Which view is going to dominate your thinking? David's one desire was to be in the presence of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, and to meditate in his temple. What is my one desire? What is yours? Do we have a vision of the Lord that so moves us that we can't think of anything that we would rather do than to be in his presence? How beautiful is the Lord to us. You might be here today and you're going through struggles. We have uh, many that are dealing with physical ailments. It can draw you down. It can become so encompassing and it can just take your focus off. Encourage you. Look up. Lift up your eyes. God is working. Again, we may not get the answers that we are hoping for, but one thing we're confident of, there is a day coming when we will be with him. Let's look forward to that day. Let's pray.